There's one element in Christianity that distinguishes it from all other religions in the world. The uniqueness of our faith is that God offers us a relationship with Him. The essence of salvation was defined by Jesus in John 17.3 when He said, And this is eternal life. We all know what eternal life is. This is it. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Jesus said there's a day coming when many will say unto him, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name do many wonderful things, and he will say to them, depart from me into hell, because I never what? Knew you. I never knew you. The issue is a personal relationship with Christ. It's not duty. It's not externalism. It is all about knowing Christ. And there will be many, according to our Lord, who stand before Him on that day thinking that they're going to heaven because they've trusted in themselves and going to find themselves separate from Christ. And the issue is that they have no relationship with God. Hell is a place for people with no relationship with God. What was sung to you a few moments ago by the choir were these words from Philippians 3, by the Apostle Paul. He says, We are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And Paul says, If anyone has a confidence to trust in himself, to trust in his works, and to trust in the things that he does, I far more. I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel. And he just walks through a litany of pedigrees that he had that he brought to God. As to righteousness which is found in the law, I was blameless, he said. But then he says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Why, why, why this righteousness? Why the gift of righteousness? What's it all for? Here it is again, verse 10, that I may know Him. My whole life is, is geared to knowing Christ. I want to know Him, Paul says, and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Listen to what he says a couple verses later. Not that I've already obtained this, or already become perfect. But I press on. What do you press on for, Paul? What drives you? So that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. What's that, Paul? It's knowing Christ. My whole goal in life is to go hard after God so that I can know Him better. Because that's why I'm here. The Christian life is all about knowing God. It's all about a personal relationship with Christ. And God saved us not so that we wouldn't go to hell. He saved us so that we can know Him for eternity. And so the question that I want to ask my own heart, and the question I want to ask your heart this morning, is how's your relationship with Christ? Is it healthy? Is it what you want it to be? So many times we become guilty of just going through the motions and living our Christian lives just externally and not cultivating our relationship with God. Open your Bible this morning to John 21. John chapter 21. We're going to look at a passage this morning that, that unpacks for us what a healthy relationship with the Lord should look like and give you something to measure your own relationship with Him by. A little bit of background. 
You read in verse 1 there of John 21, And after these things, Jesus manifested Himself to the disciples. You say, what are these things? These things are the drama of the Passion Week. We find Jesus in John 21 on the beach with His disciples just after the culmination of His, of his Passion Week with His death on the cross and His, his miraculous resurrection from the dead. Jesus is alive. He, he died for the sins of the world and now He's alive forevermore and He's come and He's appeared to His disciples. And when we get to John 21, He's appeared to the women at the tomb and He's appeared to His disciples a couple times in the upper room. And now He comes to them on the beach in His glorified form. Here's the risen Christ manifesting Himself again to His disciples. And it says that He manifested Himself to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. That's another way of saying the Sea of Galilee. That's, that's the famous uh, Sea of Galilee. And he comes, and the point is, is he's going to bring his disciples. He says, I want to rendezvous with you in Galilee. And I'm going to call you and commission you to take this message of salvation that I've just secured to the whole world. I want to, I want to use you. I've accomplished redemption, and now I'm going to send you forth. This is, a, this is a time for intense focus. Jesus was about to ascend to his Father and, and send them into the world. They were going to go proclaim the forgiveness of sins. They were going to go proclaim Salvation through Christ alone. What He did on the cross just days before was to secure the salvation of everyone who believed. And He's going to use these people to, to go into the world and turn it upside down, literally. So it was a time of an intense preparation. And the disciples were there. Verse 2, Simon Peter was there. Thomas was there. Nathaniel was there. The sons of Zebedee, James and John were there. And two other disciples were there. And verse 3, here's this, here's this intense focus. Here they are. They're, they're ready. Here's Jesus on the beach with them in His glorified form going to call them. In verse 3, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. This isn't a good thing. This is a very bad thing. Let me show you why. In verse 15, Jesus comes to Peter after having gone fishing and provides him with a stinging rebuke. And the rebuke starts with the word Simon. Now, whenever you see Jesus refer to Peter as Simon, he's referring to what he did, what his life was like before Christ. Remember when, when he brought him to Christ, he says, I'm going to change your name. You're no longer going to be Simon. You're going to be Peter. You're going to be a rock. You're going to be a stalwart. And he says, Simon. Whenever, whenever Peter was acting fleshly, whenever he wasn't maintaining truthfulness to his relationship to the Lord, he called him Simon, and it arrested his attention and said, Whoa, Simon, I'm, I'm, I'm acting like before I knew Christ. So this is a bad thing. He's coming to him to confront him. Secondly, the phrase going fishing is very interesting. It's in the present active infinitive. You say, big deal. Present tense connotes continuing action. I'm going back to fishing. Literally, I'm going back to my profession of fishing. Now, two weeks ago, Jack talked to us from 1 Timothy chapter 2, and the present active infinitive, that big phrase, was used to describe a woman's role in teaching. I do not permit a woman to hold the office of teacher. That's the, that's the essence and the force of the, of the Greek that's behind this. And so what he's saying is, I'm not going to get a bite for dinner. While we're waiting for Jesus to come, I'm going back to fishing. So more than just getting a bite to eat. Because you see there, that night they caught nothing. They got, they got nothing in their boat. It's kind of like my golf game was yesterday. I got nothing. Um, I can understand this. And see, the point is, is that when Christ called Peter to the ministry, and he called him to himself, he called him to be a fisher of men, not a fisherman. He said, leave those nets and come and follow me. And ever since then, God's been rerouting the fish away from Peter's boat. 
He's not going to catch anything because God doesn't want him to find success. And here's Peter. He's going off and he's wandering away from what the Lord wants to do in his life. And place yourself, if you would, in Peter's situation for just a minute. See if you can relate. Here's Peter. The night that Jesus was betrayed. He stands up in the middle and Jesus says, you're all going to fall away. And he says, not me. I'm not going to fall away. If all the rest of the disciples fall away, I will not fall away. In his pride and Jesus warned him of his pride. And then we're in the garden, and Jesus was praying, and he comes back to his disciples, and they're doing what? Sleeping. He says, couldn't you keep watch with me for an hour? They're sleeping. And so the moment of of truth comes, and, and Judas comes and seizes Jesus and arrests him with the Roman guard that's there. And and in a moment of fear and panic and cowardice, the disciples all tuck their tails and run. And they abandon Jesus. And Jesus is dead by the next afternoon. Peter's standing at a way, at a distance, broken and weeping. Rocky, this, this strong Peter denied Christ, that he had any knowledge of Christ, that he had any relationship with Christ whatsoever, in front of a little girl. Here's this strong man. And so Sunday morning comes. And Jesus is alive. The word comes to the disciples that, that he's alive. And, and Jesus comes and manifests himself to his disciples. And this is the context in which we find them. And Peter says, I'm, I'm going back to fishing. Peter wasn't ready. Peter was no doubt discouraged. Peter no doubt was asking himself, can the Lord really use me? I mean, I've failed the Lord so miserably. Do you think that he could really use me? I can't even face him. And I like Peter. Because I can identify with Peter. Can you? I think Peter is the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth that every single one of us can, can really relate to. That, that uh, when we look at our own lives and we mirror our own walks with God, we find ourselves in a lot of uh, common ground with the apostle Peter. Because I think his relationship with the Lord exemplifies what our relationship with the Lord looks like a lot of times. He struggles like we do. And many times in our lives we become entangled with the things of the world. We become entangled with the wrong priorities that keep us from having the kind of relationship with Him that we should have and as a result the kind of effectiveness that we otherwise could have. We turn from Him to things like the Internet or alcohol or our jobs or our vacations Things that that in and of themselves may not be wrong. But things that distract us from the most important thing. Something other than Christ. And what's going to happen in this narrative, and I'm excited about this narrative, because what's going to happen here is the patient Lord Jesus is going to come after Peter and bring him back. He's going to draw him back. And specifically in this text, we're going to analyze six characteristics of a healthy relationship with Christ. Six characteristics so that you can examine yourself. Take a little inventory this morning. Examine your own heart and see how you measure up. How do you fare in your relationship with the Lord? And all of us want a healthy relationship with the Lord if we're in Christ, don't we? All of us want to have a, have a vibrant, growing, strong walk with Christ. And so we need these. And this is oftentimes how the Lord comes after us. Number one, having a healthy relationship with Christ is first unavoidable. It's unavoidable. Look down at verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, to the rest of the disciples, I'm going back to fishing. They said to him, we'll come with you. They went out and got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet his disciples did not know that it was Jesus. 
So Jesus said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered, No. Then he said to them, Cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Now, does this incident sound familiar to you? It's it's an incident that was paralleled to something that happened in the early ministry of Jesus found in Luke chapter 5. They were out there, and Jesus said, Throw out the nets and and see what you can catch. And and they said, Well, come on, Lord, I... uh, I've been fishing all night. I haven't caught anything. And she said, just do it. So he said, okay. And remember what happened? He pulled in so many fish that the boats began to sink. And so this was, a, this was another lesson that they needed of, of humility and dependence upon Christ. And, and as I said at the beginning, that when God called Christ, when, excuse me, when, when, when God called Peter to, to serve Christ, he called him to leave his nets behind. And what Peter does is he goes back to his nets and the Lord says, you're not going to find any success in that, Peter. I'm not going to let you do that, Peter. I'm going to frustrate you. I'm not going to let you return to your sin. I'm not going to let you find success in something that's wrong. I'm not going to let you find success in what's not my will for you. And I think this is something that we can all relate to because as we find, we find ourselves looking in, in the Apostle Peter, we see the same thing, that God frustrates us when, our, when we're in our rebellion. He frustrates us when we walk away from Him and He comes alongside us and He routes us. And so here's Jesus coming after Peter again. And I love what he says in verse 5. Look at this. He says, um, you don't have any fish, do you? Now, the the wording in the original is meant to expect a no answer. So what he's basically doing is drawing the attention to the fact that Peter's nets are empty. He says, Peter, you've gone back to fishing. You've gone back to everything before, and you are not going to find any success. Now, look in your nets. Have you caught anything today, tonight? No. You've caught nothing Why did you catch nothing? Because apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm not going to let you be successful in your sin. And so he says in verse 6, cast the net on on the right-hand side of the boat. Now, if you were an experienced fisherman, that might frustrate you a little bit, wouldn't it? I know how to fish. I've been fishing all my life. I don't need you standing on on the beach telling me how to fish. I've been fishing all night. There's no fish in this lake. I don't need you to tell me. It's kind of like an... uh, It's easy for you to say, you know, like the armchair quarterback... He says, oh, you should have thrown the long ball. Yeah, it's easy for you to say you weren't in the game. You didn't have the pressure of the defense on you. But look, the catch was successful. Look down in verse 6. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. And the point is is that our relationship with Christ is unavoidable. When when Christ comes and when Christ routes us, He's going to show us that, that walking away from Him and walking back into a life of sin is going to frustrate us. He is not going to let us have any success, but when we will do what He says, we will find success. And sometimes in our heart of hearts, we don't really want to wander from Him. We God saved us to know Him and we want to have a relationship with him, but we get entangled with the things of the world and we find ourselves in sin and we wander and and the point is is that he's going to come after you. And he's going to come after me. He's never going to let you get to the point where you do, you don't let him pursue you. You'll never get that far. He's always going to come after you. And if you're wayward, you're wandering, you're fickle, he doesn't allow you to go. It's unavoidable. The kind of relationship with him that he wants you to have is something you can never avoid. But A healthy relationship with the Lord is something that you should pursue with all your heart. He shouldn't have to chase you down. Does God have to chase you down? Does God have to to come after you, to frustrate you, to get you to read His Word, to get you to pray, to get you to listen to what He says, to get you to come to church, to get you to pursue a relationship with Him? Or is it something you pursue 
Do you, like Paul, say, I, I, per, I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of? I want to lay hold of Christ, and with all my heart and all my mind, I'm going to pursue it. David in Psalm 32 says, When I kept silent about my sin, God frustrated me. My body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. But then David says, When you brought me back and you forgave my sin, I found liberty. God's not going to let you thrive in avoiding a relationship with Him. Secondly, not only is our relationship with Christ unavoidable, but it's unquenchable. And I love this. Verse 7. When all this happened, therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. He remembered the incident in Luke 5. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put out his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards away, dragging the net full of fish. John says, I remember what happened in Luke 5. It's the Lord. There's only one reason for this. It's the Lord coming to rout us. He's coming to pursue us. We've gone back to fishing and we fall, but it's the Lord. He's coming after us. And Peter is the first to react. And John always, you find this in the Gospels, John's always the first one to understand. And Peter's always the first one to react. He just, instinctively, what he does is he, he, grabs, his, he grabs his robe because he took it off. Because in fishing, if you're going to have this long robe on, you, you get all tangled in the line and stuff. That, that doesn't make sense, so you take it off. But he wanted to go be before the Lord, and out of reverence for the Lord, he put, this, he put his rose back on, and he, I love what it says, he threw himself into the sea. He just lunged into the sea and swam as hard as he could to the beach because he knew it was Christ. Now remember, Peter is wandering. Peter is going away, but when he catches a glimpse of Christ, when his heart becomes stirred with Christ and his affections for Christ, and he's reminded of his relationship with Christ, he forgets about fishing, and he lunges into the sea and paddles as hard as he can to the shore because of where Jesus is. It's amazing. What's the point? The point is, is that our relationship with Christ is unquenchable. No matter how far you go in your sin, no matter how much you get entangled with the world, there's always something, if Christ is in you, that is a work that he began, that he will perfect, Philippians says. There's a work in your heart that he is going to pursue, even if you're not going to pursue it. And when he comes after you, he awakens and stirs what he began on that day. And that'll never be quenched. Ever. Jesus said, Matthew 5, that those who know Christ hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I just got to stop and ask my heart. And I got to ask your heart this morning. Do you hunger and do you thirst for righteousness? As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for what? You. You, God. You. And when I get entangled with the things of the world and Christ comes on the scene, I'm reminded of what my relationship with Him is supposed to be and what it's supposed to look like, and I do everything I can to get that stuff out of the way to cling to Him. That's what a healthy relationship with the Lord looks like. And if that's not you in your heart of hearts, then the Bible says that you don't know Christ. Because if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are gone and the new has come. Now, what I love about this story is this reminds me of Peter elsewhere. You remember Peter? They were on... They were on the sea. Jesus is off in the mountain praying. And he comes to them walking on water. And Jesus looks up and sees that it's Peter, or sees that it's Jesus. He says, Lord, permit me to come to you. And Peter jumps out of the boat, runs on the water to get to Jesus. And then Peter looks down, I'm on water. Um, you know, and, and he gets distracted. 
and he gets pulled away. And he looks down and, and he starts sinking and he says, he says, Lord, help me. And he says, Peter, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Your faith brought you across this water. God worked a miracle to bring you to me. Because in your heart, you're hungry for me. You have this insatiable desire for me. And, and, and Peter never wanted to be separated from Christ. You remember when the night that they were betrayed, what Peter did? He woke up and he saw the guards there. And all of a sudden, he saw that Jesus was going to be arrested. You remember what he did? He took out a sword. And he started hacking. The, the line of guys, he says, I'm going to take out the first one. He started swinging that sword. And he swung at the high priest's servant. His name is Malchus. And Malchus kind of ducked like that. And he knocked off his ear. Jesus said, put that away. And he, and he put his ear back on. But the point is, is, is Peter never wanted to be... <laughs> Peter never wanted to be separated from Christ. He never ever wanted to be separated from Christ. He wanted to be with Christ. And the thought of not being with Christ and not having what he had with Christ paralyzed him. And he says, no matter what, no matter who, I'm not going to let it happen. But when sin comes into the picture and he begins to become wayward, Christ has to come back and remind him of that. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to perfect it until the day of Christ. And the point is this, is that God has us all in a process, doesn't he? He has every single one of us in a process, and he knows exactly what it takes to break us, and he knows exactly what we need to be stirred in our relationship for him. And, and my question is this, where are you this morning? Where are you in your relationship to him? What, what have you gone after that's keeping you from the kind of relationship that you could otherwise enjoy? When the, fan, when the flame of your, of your devotion to Christ becomes a flicker, the joy is, is that Christ is going to come and he's going to fan that flame. He's going to make it an inferno. He's going to draw you back. So our relationship with Christ is unavoidable. It's, it's up to him, so there's nothing we can do to escape it. No, we don't want to escape it. But it's also unquenchable. No matter how far we go, no matter how deep in sin we wander, he's going to come after us. But number three, our relationship with Christ is going to be confrontational. Confrontational. Look down at verse 9. So when they got out on the land, they saw the charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. John is just very accurate here. There's nothing special in the number, 153. John just always very uh, detailed. 153 fish, a lot of fish for their little nets. The net wasn't torn. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples ventured to question him, Who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and the fish likewise, verse 14. And this is the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead, verse 15. Now, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Stop there. Now, I love this, because here's the scene. The disciples are out all night, fishing. It, it, this is a work night for them. This would be like if you went to work all day and got absolutely nothing done all day. You didn't have anything to eat. You exhausted yourself. And you're, you're, you're dead tired. You're paddling in because it's dawn. You've caught nothing all night. You're frustrated. You're defeated. You're hungry. And all of a sudden, it's the risen Lord who you're wandering from. And look how patient the Lord is to these disobedient disciples. He could have said, I'm the risen Lord. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Bow before me. You wicked disciples and repent. He doesn't do that. He's very patient with them. He could have rebuked them all. He just did, he just secured their salvation on the cross. And they're wandering from him. And he's going to use them to turn upside down the world and they're not interested. He could have rebuked them, but you know what he does instead? First, he does rebuke them. 
but he gives them breakfast. I love that. You know how Jesus makes breakfast? Breakfast. <laughs> kind of reminds me of 1 Kings 19. Elijah was fleeing from Ahab and Jezebel, and he's running for his life as hard as he can, and he's running miles and miles and miles, and he, and he falls down under a tree because he's, he's just dead of exhaustion. And he says, God, would that I would die. Let me die. He's afraid. And the Lord comes and says, puts him to sleep. Take a rest. And he brings him some food. He says, eat. And then he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? He comes to confront him. But he's patient about it. And so it is with Peter. Once breakfast is over, then the Lord said to Simon. What did he say? Verse 15. Simon. Remember, Simon is, is his earthly, fleshly title. Simon. Son of John, do you love me more than these? You say, what, what are these? Well, we're not exactly sure. It's one of two things. Um, some people think it's the rest of these disciples. As, as Jesus comes to Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me rest more than every one of these other disciples over here? Because remember, Peter, on that last night you said, even though everyone else would fall away, I will never fall away. So how are you doing on your love, Peter? Do you love me more than these? That's, that's one possibility. The other possibility is, Peter, do you love me more than all this? And he turns around and looks at the Sea of Galilee and the fishing tackle and all the boats and says, do you love me more than all this stuff that you're going after? Either way, the point is this. Do you love me supremely? Do you love me more than anything else, Peter? Do you love me and are you willing to follow me more than anything else? Do you love me supremely? Do you? Now, there's something happening here in the Greek that is absolutely amazing. And it provides probably one of the most stunning and stinging and sharp rebukes in the Bible. It's found in verse 15. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so he said, tend my lambs. Now what's happening here in the Greek is Jesus uses the word for do you love me, agapao, agape. You're familiar with that term, I think. Do you, Peter, with an unswerving devotion and a relentless commitment and sacrifice. Love me with all your heart. What's he going to say? Just what he says. Well, you know that I phileo, different word. You know that I have brotherly kindness and affection for you. You know that I like you a lot. Peter, do you with all your heart love me and are willing to follow me no matter what it takes, no matter what the cost, the sacrifice, the commitment, the unswerving devotion? Is that you, Peter? Yeah, Lord, I like you a lot. Verse 16. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape? Do you, with this commitment, love me? Yeah, Lord. I like you. A lot. Why did Peter say that? Well, because Peter's actions didn't demonstrate love. He said, yes, Lord, you're calling me to this high standard of love, but I can't claim that love because if you look at my actions, it doesn't look like I love you. What I can claim is that I like you a lot. I really like you a lot. And here comes the stinger. Verse 17. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, and this time he uses Peter's words, do you like me? What's the rebuke? Peter, do you with all your heart love me with a commitment that's willing to die yeah, Lord, I like you. Peter, do you love me with all your heart and soul and mind and strength? Uh, 
Yes, Lord, I like you. Peter, are you sure you even like me? Ouch. Are you sure you even like me? No wonder it says, verse 17, Peter was grieved. Not because the Lord asked him three times, but because on the third time he used Peter's word and said, Peter, do you, are you sure that you even, even like me? There's no boasting now. I'll follow you till I die. No. What's he saying? Lord, you have to look. You have to look into my heart. You have to look into my heart. Verse 17, you know all things. I can only appeal to your omniscience. I can't let you look at my life and see that I love you. I have to let you, the only one who can look into my heart and see that I have love for you. And, and even at best, it's just, it's a like I'm ashamed of that. We sing a song here that I love. I love to sing with all my heart. And I sing the last verse with all my heart. I sing the first three verses with absolute trembling. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, you know, he gets to the end. If ever I've loved thee, my Jesus, it's now. I have a hard time singing that. I love the song, and the hard time is not with the song or the people singing it. The hard time is with me because I ask myself every time, piercingly, do I love him more now today than the last time I sang that song? Is my heart more in love, and can I demonstrate that love now more than ever? And so I sing the last verse as hard as I can. In mansions of glory and endless delight, I'll ever adore thee in heaven so bright. You know what happens when I'm there? I'll sing with the glittering crown on my brow. If ever I've loved you, it's now. Because then he'll make me what I'm supposed to be. And so if the Lord were to come in here, and he is in here, and he were to walk the aisles and probe into your heart and say, do you love me? What's your answer? If he says, do you like me? What's your answer? My life doesn't show it, Lord, he said. Look only where you can to see the, any evidence at all. But the point is, is if you want to have a healthy relationship with the Lord, you can ex- expect to fall short. You can expect that because you're here on earth. You're fallen. And you, when you do, you can expect that he will come and he will confront. You know the patience of his confrontation. And the question is, do you welcome his searching? Do you put yourself in his word where you can pray with with David in Psalm 139, Search my heart, O God, and know my thoughts. Try me and see if there's any hurtful way in me. And if there is, Lord, lead me in the everlasting way. Is that your prayer? Do you come to the scriptures? Do you come to godly people? Do you come to the resources God has given you and say, Lord, I I know I'm not what I want to be, but I want to be. In my heart of hearts, I want to love you more. Do you pray that way? And do you look for that? Number four, a healthy relationship with Christ is discernible. By that I mean that you can see it. It's tangible if you want a different way of saying it. Look at verse 15 again. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agape me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I like you. He said to them, okay, tend my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I like you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. Verse 17, he said to them the third time, Simon, son of John, do you even like me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you like me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I like you. So Jesus said, tend my sheep. You say, what's going on here? 
What's, what's, what's Jesus called Peter to do? Called him to be a fisher of men, not a fisherman. And Peter's wandered back to fishing. And so he says, Peter, if you want to demonstrate that you love me, if you want another opportunity to glorify me, Peter, feed my sheep. Do what I've called you to do. Repent of this, I'm going fishing business. And come back and prove that you love me by serving me. What's the point? True love for Christ and a healthy relationship is not just in what you say, but in what you do. In other words, in the words of Jesus, John 14, if you love me, you will keep my, what? Commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So the question that you should ask your heart in terms of evaluating do you have a healthy relationship with the Lord is am I in a place that when people look at my life, there's no other explanation than God Stephen Olford said, if your life is explained by anything else than the supernatural, you're a phony. Jesus said in Luke 6.46, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? Why, why do you call me Lord? Don't call me Lord if you're not going to do what I say. Don't, don't, don't indicate that you have a relationship with me if your life doesn't prove it. And Peter, what he's saying is, Peter, you've been caught in your sin and I've brought you back and I want you out of your heart to serve me. With all of your heart. Return, Peter. Leave the fishing, leave the nets, and return to what I called you. And that doesn't necessarily mean the Lord has called you to shepherd God's sheep. For Peter, it was. For you, it may be something else. But whatever it is, it's recognizing God's will for you and not running for that. Piercing question. Piercing question. Somebody asked Jimmy Carter one time, a reporter, newspaper reporter, asked him this. If you were put on trial, on a court of law, would there be enough evidence to convict you as being a Christian. Ow. Is there enough evidence in your life to convict you of being a Christian? When we look at your life, can it be explained by anything else except that God is in control of your life and He's transformed you and He's given you a new heart and you have a vibrant relationship with Him? If not, you need to go back and check the health of your relationship with the Lord. And so do I. Number five. A healthy relationship with the Lord is sacrificial. Look at verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. And this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. And he says, Peter, when you were young, you were a strong man. You used to put on your clothes. You used to do whatever you wanted. No one ever told you what to do. When you get old, Peter, there's a day coming when you're not going to be able to do that anymore. When you're older, Peter, and, and not as strong, some people are going to take you. They're going to bind you. They're going to take you where you don't want to go. And they're going to make you stretch out your hands. And Jesus said this is the kind of death that he would die. Now, stretch out your hands is a metaphor for what? The cross. Crucifixion. These are the words Jesus said to him earlier in Matthew 16. If anyone wishes to follow me, he has to deny himself and take up his what? Cross and follow me. And what he's saying is, Peter, you blew it. You had the opportunity and you blew it. But you know what? Another opportunity is coming. And I want you to glorify me. This is the God of the second chance. I love that. God is going to give us another opportunity. He says, Peter, you're going to stretch out your hands. And you're going to die. Church history tells us that Peter was crucified. Upside down. Head first. You know why? Because when they were going to crucify him, he says, I'm not worthy to die in the manner that the Lord did. 
And so what he's saying is, if you're going to have a vibrant relationship with me, Peter, it's going to cost you something. It's going to mean that somebody's going to take you, and they're going to bind you, when you tend my lambs and you shepherd my church, somebody's going to come along and they're going to put you on a cross and they're going to kill you for it. You still up for it? You still up for following me? You still up for a relationship with me? 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How many desire to live godly in Christ Jesus? Good. You know what that's saying? You will be persecuted. That's what it's saying. And the question you should ask yourself, and I should ask myself, is if I'm living godly in Christ Jesus, am I being persecuted? And if I'm not being persecuted, then I better go back and check out why. Maybe I'm not in the context of persecution. Maybe we live in a very good country. Maybe I've so insulated myself in my Christian bubble with my Christian this and Christian that, and my Christian dog, whatever, you know. I, I've got my whole life insulated with Christian this and Christian that, that I'm not in the world, and my faith is not on display for the world. And so when, when the world who hates Christ sees me, do they see Christ in me and then hate me? And he says, if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, if you want to have the kind of relationship that God wants you to have, you will suffer persecution. Not a question. Not a question. If you're going to be godly. I love what Paul said. I read it a minute ago. Let me read it again. I want to know him. Is that your heart? I want to know him. If it is, take the whole verse. And the power of his resurrection, I want that. I want his power operative in my life to raise me on the last day and even now to give me victory over sin. And the fellowship of his sufferings. You want to know Christ? You want to know the power of his resurrection? Take the whole package. Or else your relationship with him can't be what it should be. So knowing Christ means suffering for Christ Peter's saying, and our hearts are saying, I want to I show my love for you by, by suffering for the one who died for me, who gave himself up for me. Well, finally, our relationship with Christ is unavoidable. There's nothing we can or should want to do to get out of it. It's unquenchable. Even no matter how far we go in our sin, no matter how far we wander, no matter how deeply we become entangled with the things of the world, He's always going to pursue that thing that he started us back when we believed. When we're in sin, he's going to come and he's going to confront us. Our relationship with him is confrontational. He's going to ask us the piercing questions, the very hard questions. He's going to ask us to demonstrate our love for him. He's going to ask us to make sacrifice. Finally, a relationship with Christ that's healthy is individual. Or if you want to say it a different way, it's personal. It's personal. An individual. Look down at verse 20. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. That's John, okay? The disciple, he never calls himself John. I mean, if you wrote a book, would you call yourself the disciple whom Jesus loved? I would. just don't think he ever got over the fact that Jesus loved him so much. Verse 20. Saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one also, who, this is the same one who had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who's the one who's going to betray? John's just trying to identify himself and says, John is following Peter. Apparently what happened here is that the Lord, when he said, follow me, he started walking. And apparently Peter said, oh, and he started walking. And as he's walking and following behind Christ, he, he looks around. He looks back and John's following. What's John doing? John, John's, John's kind of following at a distance, no doubt getting, getting material for his book. And he says to him in verse, uh, verse 20, verse 21, Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this guy? What about him? 
Verse 22, 22, Jesus said to him, If I want him to remain until I come, what's that to you? You follow me. This is in context of when he said, Peter, you're going to die. You're going to stretch your hands out and you're going to be crucified. And he says, so follow me. And so they start walking and, and Peter looks back and says, what about this guy? What's going to happen to him? And he says, that's none of your business. I'll take care of him. You don't need to worry about Peter and John. You don't need to live his life for him. Peter, you're having quite enough trouble handling your own relationship right now. You're having a hard enough time dealing with just yourself. You're going to add on to that all the baggage of somebody else's relationship with me and their future and their fate? I don't think so. And see, this was a problem for Peter. Peter always got distracted, didn't he? Remember a minute ago, he's he's running out on the water. He wants to be with Christ, and what happens? He looks down. He lost his focus. And here's, here's Jesus saying to Peter again, You don't get it, Peter. Follow me. Focus, Peter. Only me and only you. You still don't get it. You have to have a relationship with me that's individual. It's personal. It's independent of anyone else. You're going to stand before God alone on the judgment seat of Christ. No one's going to be there. Just you and God. And what I'm not saying, I'm not saying don't be concerned about other people in the body of Christ. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. There's a ton of scripture that talks about that. And I'm not saying don't ever pray together, don't ever read together. I'm not saying that. But when you do those things, let it be as an outflow of your personal relationship to Christ. That is not your personal relationship to Christ. Your personal relationship with Christ is the foundation upon which that rests. And if you don't have that, and your church is churchianity for you, then you have to go back and ask, do I have a relationship with Christ? Or is everything that I do all about somebody else? Children, your parents' relationship with Christ is not yours. It's theirs, and you have to have your own. Husbands, you can't ride on your wife's relationship with Christ to pull you through, and vice versa. Your relationship with Christ has to be just you and Him. Otherwise, you're going to become dependent upon somebody else's relationship with Christ and not Christ. Jan and I have a saying that we try to remind each other about. We have our own independent, dependent relationship on Christ. Totally independent of one another, but completely dependent upon Christ. Completely independent of each other. That's not to say that we don't get together and talk about the Bible and read and pray and and encourage one another when we're falling short. That's not saying that. What it is saying is that our own individual relationships with Christ are the focus. And when those things are the focus in our life, our relationship will be what it's supposed to be. I tell her often, I'll love you best when I love, love God most. When I'm pursuing God and walking with God hardest, our relationship will be what it should be. Write this down. What you are on your knees alone before God is all that you are and nothing else. What you are on your knees alone before God with no one else there is all that you are and nothing else. Relationship with He said, don't worry about him. You focus on you. I'll take care of John. Let John take care of John. You follow me and love me. Well, a rumor started in the church. You surprised? Verse 23. A rumor started in the church that John wouldn't die but live until the rapture, and John takes a minute to qualify that and says, 
Verse 23, a saying when I'm out among the brethren that the disciple would not die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I, die, uh, until I come. What's that to you? Some people started saying, oh, see, John's not going to die. The, the rapture's going to come before John's, John's going to die. So it's going to be in probably 94, 95. It's, John's getting old. We're going to see the return. He's not saying that. He's saying, all he's saying is the focus is this. And, and, and if you don't get anything else about out of this message this morning, get this. Our relationship with God is the most critical preoccupation that we can have. It's a thing that with all our hearts we should pursue, with all our minds that we should exercise. And Jesus is just going to reiterate to Peter, Peter, take care of yourself. Guard your heart, Peter. Don't worry about John. It's hard enough trying to handle yourself, try to live their Christian life for them. But this is, this is what we do. And he's saying, Peter, you're not getting it. Did Peter ever get it? Yeah. Jesus left, you think, he's going to be separated from Christ. Now what's he going to do? God sends the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is in him. He becomes one of the pillars of the church, one of the most powerful preachers to ever live. He got it. Why? His ministry was built on his personal relationship with Christ. His family was built on his personal relationship with Christ. And when he focused on cultivating that, he became the man God wanted him to be. So if we're going to be healthy, what do we do? If our walk with Christ is going to be what it should be, what do we do? Well, you pursue it with all your heart. And you know that it's a process. And you know that God's got you under his thumb and that you can't circumvent him or rout him or, as was read a minute ago, disregard him. You can't. You have to know that. And that God is pursuing in you the, what he started at the beginning to make you more like Christ. And that we should long for Him. We should, we should come before His Word and say, God, teach me this truth and confront me. Do what Thomas Watson said and love the menaces and the threats of God's Word that keep us from sin. Love those things in God's Word which confront us. Not just the happy little uh, uh, you know, quick fix in the morning. You know, like fast food. Okay, God, blah, blah. Okay, great. I've done my duty. No. Long after God. Pant after God. And ask Him to rip apart those areas that don't please Him. And then when he does, to rely on him. Because when we stand up and in ourselves say, I'll follow you no matter what, and we fall, we realize, I'm totally dependent on Christ for everything. Independently dependent on Christ. Even if it means our own life. So that our personal intimacy with him will be what it should. Is this you? Do you find yourself where Peter is? I find myself there a lot. I find myself at the same time. And, I, I, and God has graciously wooed me in drawn me back, like we sang about earlier, held me close, given me wings to soar. Why? Because I've trusted in Him, and my relationship with Him is what it should be. And the question I want you to ask your heart, honestly before God, is, is this you? Do you have a healthy relationship with Christ? And if you don't, are you grieved by that? Do you want that? Do you want what you were saved to have and be and enjoy that you'll forever experience in eternity? But as long as there's time, this is our goal, to cultivate this. If your priorities are out of line, this morning you come in here, you're entangled with sin. Only the omniscient, piercing eyes of the Lord can see that you have any love at all in your heart for Him. If this is you, if you've become wrapped up in the things of the world and, and you want to be restored to the joy of your salvation, you can have that. You can return to a consistent, vibrant, healthy relationship with Christ. All you've got to do is do what Peter did. Repent and come back.
It might be that you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Christ. It might be that if you were to die right now, you'd stand before God and say, Lord, Lord, I did a lot of great things. Went to Calvary Bible Church faithfully. Sunday school, I gave all the time. He says, it's loss. In view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, why will you, why will you hold on to those things when you can have a relationship with Christ that is peerless and unsurpassed and incomparable and healthy? If you don't know Christ, he died so that you can know him. He was crucified. He hung on a cross bearing your sin, bearing the guilt for your sin. He endured the wrath of God meant for you that you in exchange might have the forgiveness of sins, the righteousness of Christ, as Paul said, so that I may know him. And you can have that this morning. If this is your heart, we have a prayer room to these doors over here. After the service, I would encourage you to go. If you're struggling, I'd encourage you to go. I have people there that would love to talk to you and pray with you. Wherever you're at this morning, do whatever it takes to go hard after God. Let's pray. Our Lord, too often we find ourselves here going fishing. Too often we find ourselves stuck in the mire of sin and our relationship with you, the last thing on our mind. But then you come and you awaken those affections and those desires for you that we've had put there by you and then we are confronted with the fact that we don't measure up, but then we cling to you and your forgiveness and you receive us, you welcome us. The choir saying this morning, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there's no greater thing. You're our all. You're the best. You're our joy and our righteousness. And we love you, Lord, even though sometimes, many times, yea, almost all the time, we don't show you. Fix our hearts on what's most important until that day when we know and love you best and can sing with the glittering crown on our brow, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>